it's, it's our final week of the Advent series that we've been working through. And by now, you're probably tired of me reminding you that Advent is an opportunity to look back, to remember what Christ has done as we anticipate what Christ is going to do. So I won't remind you of that this morning. I won't tell you that today. Um, but I will tell you that it is the center of our celebration. The reason we have any reason to celebrate today, the reason we have any reason to, to have a holiday that, that we call Christmas, and we, really even when you consider the holidays like New Year's and um, 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, all of those holidays that we would take time off for and be excited about, really, they all find their meaning in the reality that Christ has come and that Christ is coming. If Christ isn't coming again, and this is all there is, Well, that's not much. It can be pretty good at times. But it's not a whole lot to look forward to. This this really centers us. This really gives us a reason to celebrate. No matter what else is going on, no matter what else, what are the challenges you find in your life, no, no, no matter what 2019 holds for any of us, Jesus has come and Jesus is coming. That's reason to be excited. We should be, um, most of all, joyful people, the most joyful people. Some years our study has, has focused on some of the more traditional themes, the, the, the weekly themes that you might find in more traditional, more liturgical churches like love, hope, joy, peace. Um, and some years we don't. It's not that those themes aren't evident in our, in our studies. They, they, are, they definitely are, but we don't always follow um, that structure. This year, we're studying the four songs that that open up that, that are in the first two chapter chapters of Luke. And, and and I told you this last week. They're not songs in the traditional sense. Uh, they became hymns in the ancient church. The people that spoke them likely didn't sing them. I mean, it, it's not so. So the most recent musical that's in my head right now is oh, it's the circus one. I can't Barnum and Bailey or whatever his name. What is it? There you go. It's not like they stopped in the middle and began to sing and broke out in song, right? Like that's that. I don't think that stuff really happens. I've never known anybody to do that, and so that's why I don't do musicals. They're so unrealistic; it just doesn't make sense to me. Who does that? That's probably not what happened here, right? These people, though, were moved by God at work in their lives. And they, they stopped and maybe they didn't sing, but they praised him. They blessed him. They spoke uh, uh, to, to his glory. They, they, they were inspired to say things that honored him and praised him and enabled others to know what was going on. In fact, we're studying them over these last three and now four weeks because we can look back and see how God worked in Mary's life. This virgin who is who is told you're going to be the mother of Jesus, the son of God, how inspired she was. And she sang before we ever even thought about singing, our soul magnifies the Lord. She sang, my soul magnifies the Lord. Zachariah, who had been, who who was an old man, who wasn't supposed to, well, he was, he would have loved to have had children, wasn't able to have children. He and his wife had never been able to conceive. As an old man, his wife, his wife conceives, she gives birth, and it's hard for him to believe. And because of his doubt, the Lord makes him silent. And the first words he says as a result are out of that silence 
is a proclamation of praise and blessing to God. So maybe they didn't stop and sing. But man, what words of praise they were. Even the angels who, who, who appeared to the shepherds, the single angels just standing or, or, or hanging in the night sky above them as the glory of the Lord shone around them and proclaiming the birth of Jesus Christ and then joined by a multitude of angels that I can only imagine filled the sky and all together saying glory to God in the highest. Well, there's a reason we sing it today. Because it's praiseworthy. Now, there's a thing, I've pointed out this, this a number of times as we've worked through this. There's, there's something that, that we have in common with each of these singers, if you will. We sit in a place where we look back on the work that God has done. And we anticipate the work that he will continue to do. And we anticipate the day with, with, with eagerness, the day he completes it. And while that's true, I think, of Mary and Zechariah, and yes, even the angels, I don't think they knew God's timeline. I think they knew what he was about doing. I think they could see more probably than we could see, but they didn't know exactly when and where and how everything was going to take place. They were all waiting. I think today, in the text today, that we're going to study, as we study Simeon's song, I think that... That this waiting and expecting is drawn out ever more clear. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 38, as we study his response to, to coming across Jesus, the, the Savior. We don't know much about him. We're, we're going to get a very brief introduction to him. But we're going to get to see the moment where his waiting is met with fulfillment. Uh, to me, I, I can't help but long for that moment myself. When waiting turns to fulfillment. Now, we're reading much more than just his, uh, his song or his response. I want you to see the context. I want you to see the events of, of what's occurring around it. So we're going to pick the story up in verse 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. We'll read all the way through verse 38. It says this. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's just stop right there. Jesus has been born. The shepherds saw him. Mary and Joseph gathered around a manger in Bethlehem. Uh, the, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, just as the angels had said would be. The angels meet him, or I'm sorry, the shepherds meet him and, and are astonished. And they run around telling everybody what's going on. They tell Mary and Joseph, what they'd heard from the angels. Everybody's marveling at what they're hearing. It's this great moment. Well, eight days later, Jesus is named. He's circumcised. That's the, that's the law. That's the, that's the way that they, that, that they uh, welcomed their children into the covenant. And it goes on. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be holy to the Lord and to, <clears throat> and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout, 
waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord, the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and the sword shall pierce your through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advancing years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of of Jerusalem. It's no doubt this was a special moment in, in, in the day of the temple. It was a reality. Jesus is, is brought as a, as a, as a following a, a law, following a tradition. And the reality is, is, is you, you should know this, is that, that this is about 30 days, just right, right between 30 and 40 days between the time Jesus is born and, the, and, and this moment here. This isn't immediately after Bethlehem. There's a little bit of span of time. So he's, he's still a newborn. He's still, still, you know, probably wrapped up in swaddling clothes, still being watched over closely by his parents. And when they carry him into the temple, this man, Simeon, was there to meet them. Waiting. Waiting to meet the Savior. And you can just imagine what it was like for him. Now, here's the thing. We don't, we don't wait very well anymore. We don't know what it is to really wait anymore. We don't like it. I've never really been good at waiting, and, and maybe I'm projecting on you. I don't think I am. I, th- I think I'll prove that point in just a second. But I've never really been good at waiting. I, I can remember, even as a kid, that mom, we didn't have a lot. Mom would try, do her best to try to get us something big, like one big thing per kid. And, and, and I was so impatient that I had to know what that was before we got it on Christmas. So I could not wait to Christmas morning to find out what I was going to get. I knew I was going to be forced to wait to get it once I knew, but I still wanted it. I wanted to know before. I remember one year she hit him in the trunk of her car. So she thought she was going to get away with us not finding them, but we found them. And that was, that was part of the fun. And with my sister and I, especially that's what we did. And that really hasn't changed. We still don't like to wait. And when the boys were smaller, it was a little easier, but we didn't wait for them to open their presents. We often played with them before they ever got them. And so there's one year we were able to, we got them guitar hero and we had played and, and actually unlocked a lot of the songs and everything so that we could, we were experts at it by the time the boys first played it. It was a good time. But as they got older, it became, it became very apparent we still don't like waiting. In fact, we almost never wait for Christmas morning to open presents or to exchange gifts with one another. Tristan, it, we, we've not done this with Cameron and Kayla because they don't live in our house, but Tristan's already gotten his presents and we've already gotten ours. Like we, We're done, right? So we just don't like to wait. 
Now, I know that that, maybe, that, that that may just be me, and it may just be Amy, but I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's really bigger than that. I don't think anybody likes to wait. Life is filled with it. Everywhere you turn, we're waiting. We're waiting in lines. We're waiting in traffic. We wait to achieve certain milestones. And when, we're, when we're 10, we want to be 16. When we're 16, we want to be 21. When we're 21, we want to, I, I don't know. And when we're 40, we wish we had not already been there, right? Like, I wish I was still back there. But we're filled with waiting. We wait for days like Christmas to arrive. And some people, every week, the first thing they, they talk about on Monday morning is waiting for Friday, right? We wait. It's part of this life. It's a part so much of this life that we come up with sayings to try to, to try to make ourselves feel better about it. Don't rush into anything. Sayings like this. Don't rush into anything because anything worth having is worth waiting for. You ever been told that? Well, sure. Makes you feel better about waiting, doesn't it? Nope. Now, we, we have to wait, but we don't necessarily like it. It's part of this life. We were created in time. We'll always be subject to time. Even in eternity, I can only imagine because I... I'm not God, but I can only imagine that when he set the sun and moon and stars in the sky to set for us seasons and times and days, I can only imagine that that's what it's going to look like even in eternity. And somehow we'll still be subject to time. I, I can't imagine that we'll ever exist outside of it. It just will not have the effect on us that it does today. Waiting is a part of this life, but it doesn't mean we like it. In fact, we're doing everything in our power. To overcome it, right? We're walking takes too long to get somewhere, so what do we do? We drive. Well, my goodness, I can't get there fast enough in a car, so let's figure out how to fly. Sending letters just takes too long. You know, it takes a whole couple of days for the post office to get something from one place to another, which is pretty amazing all in and of itself, but that just takes too long. So we came up with a telephone. Well, hey, that's not even good enough because we need to really be able to get documents back and forth. We need to be able to communicate in writing, so let's come up with email. And hey, and not even that is enough. Now we text and we message people across all kinds of apps because we want to talk right now. And we don't set up meetings. We don't have to set up meetings and wait for meetings that, that everybody can, can be away from their place or seeing face-to-face. So now we can video chat because we just don't like to wait. We want instant Right now, results. We want what we want right now. We don't like waiting, so we have fast food. And in fact, just again, this is a a comment on me, although I did work in fast food, so I know it's not just me. It, It happens all the time. When fast food isn't fast enough, I get frustrated. You call this fast food? That's what I want to say. That's what I would say when I, my first paying job was working for McDonald's, and I got told that over and over again. You call this fast food? Well, you didn't have to butcher the cow. You didn't have to, you know, I mean, what do you want? We don't want to wait. We don't like waiting on packages. So Amazon's come up with a way to get us packages from across the country, even across the world within two days. But if it's late, we get upset. And in fact, they're working hard just to do some same day delivery in some of their markets. And they've now built drones so that they can get some things to us as fast as the same day. Because we don't like to wait. Isn't it interesting that all across the scriptures, people have been waiting. In fact, that's where we find Simeon. We find him 
waiting. Every one of these people, every, every, every one of these singers that we've studied, I, I've already pointed out, are, are waiting. But, but I don't think that's as clear with any of them as it is with Simeon. He's a man who's waiting. That morning when he climbed out of bed and headed to the temple under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I don't think he had any idea was the day that the promise that had been revealed to him was going to be fulfilled. You see, we don't know exactly how old Simeon was. It, it, it appears that he had heard this promise, that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him this promise sometime before, and he had been waiting for it for some time. We always, I think, imagine him as an older man, especially as he talks about now I can depart and kind of talking about I'm ready to die. My bucket list is complete. But he's definitely a man who had been told by God, you're going to see my Savior. You're going to see my Christ. And from that moment, he waited. Now I can only assume that he probably waited better than I wait. I'm guessing he waited better than I wait, but I have no doubt that he waited like everybody else waits. You see, I have a theory. Waiting was probably always going to be something we were going to be doing, even before the fall into sin. But as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and God comes in, pronounces the curse and then makes his first promise that a savior is coming. We quit waiting so well. And that's why we need to, we need to slow down. We need to, to look at this passage and we need to consider what it has to teach us. It's why I think that the point that, that I would bring to you today, that the, the, the thing that I would hope that we bring out of this, especially as we sit around our, uh, sit around our Christmas celebrations, uh, gathering with family, I, I would long that each of us would hear this, that every promise God has made is a promise God fulfills in Jesus. Every promise God has made is a promise God fulfills in Jesus. But we may have to wait until he's ready to fulfill it. See, over and over through the telling of Jesus' birth, we're shown how God's fulfilled promise after promise. A, a prophet was born to precede him. That had been promised. A, a virgin gave birth. That had been promised. Uh, shepherds found him lying in a manger just as they were told they would find him. That had been promised. God is in the business of making promises and fulfilling promises. He, he, that, that's who he is and what he does. And here he is again with Simeon having made a promise and now fulfilling a promise. We don't know a lot about Simeon. We don't know a lot about his life. Again, Luke just gives us a brief introduction. He tells us that Simeon is righteous. It either refers to his lifestyle as one who's observing the law, or, and this is where I would fall, that I think that this is Luke's way of telling us that he's righteous before God. Already we see the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, the inspiration of the Spirit. The, 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 the reality is I think that Simeon is an example of one of the Old Testament saints, a person who, who before Christ was looking and trusting God toward, toward the coming Christ. He's, he's different 
than us in only that he was looking forward to the coming Savior. And now we are looking back to the Savior who came. He's righteous, I think, by faith. I think that's expressed in this text. I think you can pull that out of the context, that he's righteous and devout. Not only is he counted as righteous, but he is practicing. He's obedient. His, his faith is expressed in the way he lives. He's striving to live in a manner worthy of God's call on his life. And he is waiting Simeon had received this promise from God. I, we don't know. There's no indication of whether he received some verbal like God showed up, glory shines, and God speaks. Kind of like when the angel showed up to, to Joseph or the angel showed up to Mary or the angel showed up to Zechariah or, or the angel showed up to the shepherds. We don't know if God revealed himself in some way. All we know is that God revealed that he would meet the Christ. He made a promise to Simeon, and Simeon was faithfully waiting. We don't know how long that took. We don't know how long it had been. He's just waiting. I think all of this together, we can see that Simeon is not, he's not the typical Pharisee walking in and out of the temple. He's not a man who lives by works. He's a man who trusts God. And here he is on this day. Led by the Holy Spirit to the temple. And he walks in and he sees Mary and Joseph come in. And the fulfillment of God's promise to him. Jesus. This little baby. Anybody else looking at that little baby would have thought, what a cute little baby. I don't know if they thought those kind of things back in the day, but... That's what we would have thought, right? We just assume this is just another baby. Another baby being brought to be consecrated to the Lord. Another baby, another firstborn child being brought in to be, to be set before the Lord and bought back. They, 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 this was the tradition. There was two things going on in this, in this process. Mary, who had given birth, would have been unclean and she was required by law to, to bring a, a lamb or a pigeon or turtle, a, a dove. And, and she, um, or if you're poor, you could bring two birds and she brought the two birds. We can see that they were poor. But that was in order that she could be uh, pronounced clean so that she could participate in the the temple ordinances again so that she could enter into and worship with her people. This, th- this was not something that was required for her to go to the temple. So we have to see that not only is God leading uh, um, Simeon to the temple, but he's leading Joseph and Mary to the temple. He is divinely working to ensure all these people land at the temple at the exact same time. Because not only is he fulfilling every promise that he makes in Jesus, God ensures we don't miss the fulfillment of the promises that he makes to us. He's making sure that Simeon's there leading him by the Spirit. Joseph and Mary who lived in Nazareth. Why would they go all the way to the temple to do something that wasn't required to do? They could have done it at the synagogue with their priest. Except that they were led there by God. So God is ensuring we don't miss the fulfillment of promises that he makes to us. This, this is clearly what's happening here. 
Now, I don't want to, I don't want us to rabbit trail here. I don't want us to, I don't want us to get off. This is something maybe you can go and study in your week ahead, but, but just considering this is, this is the Holy Spirit at work in God's people before Christ's ascension and the spirits pouring out on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is working and is as much a part of God's redemptive plan to demonstrate the reality of who Jesus is as God the Father or Jesus the Son. He's orchestrating these events so that so that when Simeon shows up this day that he sees Jesus. I I don't know if you struggle with this or not, but I know a lot of people who do. What if I miss him? What, 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 what if I'm not in the right place at the right time? There's a whole group of people that were worried that Jesus had already returned and they'd missed him. What if I miss out on the promises of God and, and these promises that he's made to his people? What if I miss him? I think one of the principles, and it's not just here. I mean, we can see it across the text, but I just think one of the principles that we can see here is God is working not just to fulfill his promises, but to ensure you don't miss the fulfillment of them. He is sovereignly ordering things. He is sovereignly moving things around in such a way that we enjoy getting to find our waiting meet fulfillment. So God is the, is the one in the, in the business of making promises and fulfilling promises and he ensures we're not going to miss it. The reality is, and, and I think we should just deal with this just a little bit. Is the reason that we struggle, and maybe, maybe this is you, I, may, the, the reason we struggle with whether or not we're going to see the fulfillment of God's promises is because we're depending too much on our own power and our own ability to see his promises fulfilled instead of trusting him that he's big enough to do what he said he'd do. I think this is one of the things that makes it so hard to wait. So when you think about Abraham, all the way back in the Old Testament, being promised that he was going to have a son, it's just hard for him to wait. It's just taking too long. His wife and he are aging. How in the world can God do this? So what do they do? They take matters into their own hands and they seek to fulfill God's promises for him. And Ishmael's born. Abraham sleeps with one of her servants and they have a son together and this baby Ishmael is born and there's been nothing but trouble since. We, we don't have to be afraid of this. If God has made his promise and his promise and, and you're a person of his promise, you don't have to doubt that God is going to fulfill his promise. He's going to succeed. He's going to complete his work. 
The, the reason we now look back on, on the birth of Christ is not simply so that we can remember, but so that we can be reminded that God fulfills His promises so that as we look forward today and we wait like so many have waited before us, we can wait knowing that we won't miss the fulfillment of His promise. Otherwise, there's no reason to put up a tree. Really no reason to exchange any gifts. Really no substantial reason to sit down and have feasts. It it may fix things for a moment. But they're empty. If God expects us to fulfill his promises for him. Every every, Every promise God makes, God fulfills in Jesus. And he will ensure that you and I will be there. If we're his promised people, if we're recipients of that promise, he will ensure we are there to enjoy the fulfillment. That's the truth. Not only that, I would just encourage you to see that God knows the right time to fulfill the promises he makes to us. Not only is he going to ensure we're there, he knows the exact right time to make it happen. I mean, the whole question of timing, we could could approach from a couple of different perspectives in this passage. As it pertains to the point, at this point in Simeon's life, we could wonder, did God have to make the promise early and then make Simeon wait? Couldn't he have just said on the way to the temple that day, hey, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see my Savior. You're going to see the salvation of Israel. Why why, why would he have to make a promise that then Simeon had to wait for? Wouldn't it have been better if he hadn't had to wait and he had just known on the way? That's not typically the way God works, though, is it? He tells us things and then we always have to wait. See, in waiting on God, our faith is developed its strength and we're we're able to learn things about him we wouldn't know if we hadn't had to wait imagine if jesus had never had not waited until after lazarus died before he showed up to see mary and martha mary and martha call for him their brother lazarus is extremely sick jesus come and help our brother jesus waits he doesn't get up and immediately run. It wouldn't have been a long place, a long, long trip for him to go. It would have taken him maybe a half a day or so to get there. He would have been there in plenty of time to, to make Lazarus better, to heal him. Mar- Mary and Martha are both confident that Jesus can heal their brother of his sickness. In fact, they both say so when Jesus arrives. But if he hadn't made them wait, they would have been left thinking he can heal the sick. And they would have never seen and been able to trust that he could raise the dead. Just think about that. Why is it that even after we trust Christ and, and, and we are believing in his salvation, Jesus Christ, that he leaves us here? Why is it that he's making us Wait. Well, we could certainly point to things like the mission he's given us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, we could, we could certainly be, that, 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 that's part of the reason. But I would suggest in the waiting, 
we get to see a fuller picture of his grace. Because even after salvation, we struggle with sin. And we're still needy and dependent upon a savior. And there's a reality that as a believer who's needed God's grace and who's recognized that need even greater today as a mature believer than, I, than when I did when I was an immature believer, I've grown to trust him even more. And Paul wrestled with the reality in chapter, Romans chapter 7 and the reality that I do the things I'm not supposed to do and I don't do the things I should do. Who's going to rescue me this, from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. Jesus. The interesting thing about that passage in Romans is he doesn't write it the moment he's saved. He's written Bible already. He has planted churches. He's been a believer for about 20 years. And the thing he's had, the thing he has learned is that the further he's grown in spiritual maturity, the deeper he's realized his sin has gone and the greater his need of God's grace. The beauty of waiting is you see that there is absolutely nothing deserving in you. Our salvation is of God's grace. See, I I, I don't think we should get in the habit of, of questioning God's timing. He calls us to wait. He tells us what's coming so that we can grow in faith, so that we can grow in knowing him. And, and yes, all the while so that we can be used to proclaim all this goodness to those who need to know. But the other perspective of time, the other, way we could, other thing we could ask about timing here is as it pertains to the, this point in Jesus' life and mission. Jesus is a baby. He's an infant. And here's Simeon. I, I, I can only, I picture this. I, I mean, obviously, we don't know this exactly how it happened. But I picture Simeon from across the temple court seeing Jer- Mary and Joseph walk in and Jesus being carried in their arms and the Holy Spirit saying, he's the one. And jo- uh, Simeon going over to these strangers and saying, can I hold your baby for a minute and hold him up and celebrating before the Lord. Here is your salvation. Now your servant can depart in peace. There's this moment of celebration, but he's a baby. How is he the savior? How, wouldn't, it have, wouldn't it have been smarter for, for, for God? Wouldn't it have been wiser of God to reveal this moment after Jesus had already accomplished some things? Like changing water to wine and, and healing the sick, making the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the, the dead rise. Now we can say he's our savior. This is just a baby. Well, again, I, I don't want us to get in the habit of questioning God's timing. In fact, I, I think if we do, we, we probably need a lesson in waiting. I just want you to think about this moment. The very first moment Jesus enters the temple. He's received and celebrated. This is radically different in the final week of his life when he's received into Jerusalem as a king, but he's kicked out of the temple or they try to kick him out of the temple because he's teaching against them. 
You see, I think this is an important moment in the whole process of redemption because Jesus is brought in and celebrated as he deserved. The Savior of the world, God's salvation. This is what, this is what Simeon tells us about him, that, that, that your salvation's here, the light for the Gentiles, the, 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 the uh, glory for Israel. He's the one, this infant's the one. And it wasn't just him that got to see this. Obviously, as he's celebrating, Anna sees it. Anna comes and she starts telling everybody about it. There's this moment of worship and celebration at the, at, at the entry of God into his temple. That as soon as he began to speak, soon as he began to teach, and it conflicted with their perspectives, they would reject. But here's this baby, the salvation, the Savior. Look, God knows the right time. He knows exactly what you need to endure before you find the fulfillment that he's promised. He knows the exact right time to act in history. He knows the events. He's the sovereign God. And we can trust that every promise God is making, God will fulfill in Jesus. And he knows exactly when to do it. And not just that, I, I want us to see how he fulfills every promise in Jesus. God fulfills the promises he makes to us in Jesus. We see that clearly in Simeon's story, in Simeon's life. But, but God is a promise-making God. He, the, the promises originate with him. He is a promise-keeping God. He actually makes them come to pass. He sovereignly ordains and sovereignly orders things in such a way that they happen. And he is the one who gives them, the, he's the one and the power behind them to fulfill them. He makes him, he keeps him, he fulfills them. It's always been this way. We've already seen this in some of the songs. When Zechariah referred to David and Abraham, God was a promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-fulfilling God to both of them. To David, he promised that a, a king would come and sit on his throne for eternity. Jesus' mission was to establish God's eternal kingdom. His promise to Abraham was that a son would be born to him and through him, the, the, through his seed, all nations would be blessed. Jesus is that one. Even all the way back at the moment that we fell into sin at the first promise of a deliverer. In the midst of his curse, God promised the serpent that he would be ended. That his that, that his little deception and his little victory would come to an end when he said that there would one, one, be one who came that would crush his head, even though the serpent might strike his heel. God is a promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-fulfilling God, and he does that through Jesus. Jesus is the head crusher, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises made through the prophet Isaiah. And we could easily look to passages, familiar passages like that of Isaiah 53 that speak of his suffering. 
They're, they're, they're in, in view here in Simeon's proclamation. He is, he is praising God because now he has seen with his own eyes the salvation of Israel. But not just that. He turns to Mary and, and Joseph and he begins to speak to them about the mission that Christ has before him. He's going to be an opposition. He is going to be opposed and a sword is going to split your soul or going to strike your soul as well. The reality is that there was going to be difficult days. But look at how he finishes what he's saying to them. He says that that he is here. I'm sorry, look at the end of his proclamation. He says that Jesus is a a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and, and for glory to the people in Israel. This is an answer to the promises and prophecies that have been made by the prophets. Just one example is Isaiah's promise, Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 49, 6. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back to the preserved Israel. I will make, listen, I will make, this is God's word, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's Jesus. 700 years before Simeon ever spoke of this baby, talking about a light to the nation and salvation to the end of the earth, Isaiah is uh, is speaking on behalf of God, inspired by God, that we might know Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises to Simeon. You're going to see my salvation. He sees the baby and knows by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's the one. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel, to the rest of the world, and yes, even to us. I don't, I don't know what you feel like God has promised to you. I can't, I can't step down in your experience and think, oh, God promised me I was going to have this and this and this and this. I would suggest that those promises aren't rooted somewhere in the scripture. It's probably not really one you need to be counting on, but this is a promise I know he's made. If you will trust in Christ, you will know his salvation. And when he comes and returns to his people, he will take us to be with him forever. This is his promise. All of his promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Every agreement he made, every covenant he made, we find fulfillment in Christ. Every every promise he made through the prophets find their fulfillment in Christ, even even the law, even though it's not a promise to us, but, but, but the law fulfilled in Christ. He lived it perfectly. Again, we see that mirrored in this passage, being brought even on the eighth day to be circumcised, being brought and presented to the Lord as a, as, as, as a firstborn son was supposed to be. Brothers and sisters, every promise God has made is a promise that God will fulfill. And he does it in Jesus. This is why Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, not the first letter where he was really getting on to him, the second letter, a little bit easier to deal with. He he writes this, For the Son of God, 2 Corinthians 1, 19-20, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his 
glory. You know why Simeon sung that day or Simeon prophesied that day? Why he was so excited and he takes this baby and he says, now your servant can depart in peace because he knew God's promise to him had been fulfilled in Jesus. And we can come up with all kinds of reasons to celebrate. But there's none as great as this one. The promise you're waiting for, the promise that has been made to you, is going to be fulfilled when Jesus returns. Every promise God has made is a promise God fulfills in Jesus. So, wait confidently. We don't wait that well. (laughs) But the more we think on Jesus and the more certain we become about what God has done and what God will do in Jesus, we can wait confidently. See, we don't have to be in fear. We don't have to look at death coming at us and be afraid. We can join Simeon in his song. Now your servant can depart in peace. And whether we live a second or another hundred years or we die and our bodies rot in the grave, when Jesus returns, we will stand before him in our own bodies and see him with our own eyes because every promise God fulfills or every promise God makes, God fulfills in Jesus so we can wait confidently. We don't have to get God to make some new agreement with us. We don't have to try to manipulate him or coerce him. We can rely on the promise he has made. So wait confidently. Wait obediently. Don't just say you believe him. I mean, it's one thing to say, I trust Jesus and then run off trying to fulfill all his promises for him. It's one thing to say that we believe in Christ and then that it never does anything about how we spend our time, our, our talents, or our treasure. I don't think that's what God would have us do. I don't think that's why Simeon is inspired of the Holy Spirit to, to wait on this promised fulfillment. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's highlighted to us that he's righteous and he's devout because he was waiting obediently. I think he set for us an example to follow. It doesn't do us any good to say we believe him and not live like it. Devote your life to living as he called you to live. Devote your life to waiting on him to fulfill the promise he has made. And wait worshipfully. Everyone, without fail, you can go back and look at every one of these passages. Everyone who met Christ couldn't help but rejoice. They couldn't help but praise God. They couldn't help but worship God. We live in the light of his first advent every day. This isn't just reserved for a holiday. We, we live in the light 
of his first advent, the promise of our salvation and the promise of his return. We live in that light every day. So as we wait confidently and as we wait obediently, there shouldn't be any part of our life that's not given to honor him exclusively. That people would hear our worship and be, 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 be reminded themselves that Christ is coming, that God fulfills his promises, and to be introduced maybe for the first time that the Savior has come and he's coming again. Well, let me just close with one last little thought. That we can wait confidently, we can wait obediently, and we can wait worshipfully. But we aren't waiting so when he arrives, we can say to him, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. You see, in the moment of salvation, we can say, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Now we're waiting for him to show up and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Rest in me. That's something I wait for. I long for. And because of what he's done, and because of the reality that he's going to fulfill his promise, we can all wait to hear his words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's pray.